1: Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is also here. We both have microphones. We're going to talk about some things. But first, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Plus, and I am so sorry if you're sick of hearing us say this, we're podcasted. And liking, subscribing, reviewing, all that stuff, actually somehow, magically, there are elves or gnomes inside the computer that, that helps us. And uh, we would love to hear from you in any way, shape, or form that you would like to contact us. Carrier Pigeons welcome, I think, right? Usually. Here's Brian's home address. Monday's. Here's yeah, his home God. address. <laughs> Call my personal cell phone. <laughs> that's such a good idea, man. I don't. <laughs> I don't know that we've talked about it every Monday, but almost every Monday we talk about like the unique tired that we experience right, on Monday. Right. Which I don't know if you're feeling that right now or not. You seem chipper. I, I feel a little.
2: I feel pretty good today, but a little bit of that's caffeine, I think. And uh, yeah, but Mondays are just they're, they're especially when you preach, they're just a little tyrant you like you wake up kind of a little bit of a
1: fog. See, and I didn't preach. But my uh, my wife bought me tickets for uh Pedro the Lion, a band that I've loved forever back in December. And so the the show was in the city, but he didn't start till like nine thirty nope. or ten. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so we got a babysitter, she's fantastic. We like nope. went to the city and, and had dinner ahead of time, but we didn't get home till like an ungodly hour and this morning both of us were
2: like, We can't ever do that again. No, because that's it. It's not like your kids, since you have little kids, That it's not like they're like, no, oh, you know what, mom and dad were out late, I better in. sleep in a little bit, or I better not wake up during the night. They're getting up no matter what. And so well, it is always that cost benefit of like, totally, is it worth it? So I'm glad you had a good time can, out. But can I confess start. something, though? Yep, yep. We were coming home late at
1: night, and we were driving, and she was like, I'm hungry. I was like, I'm hungry, too. And both of us were like, McDonald's. Nice. And I thought the, you were going to say Taco Bell. Nah, well, I did propose that first, yep. and she said, uh, not a chance in hell. So <laughs> I, so I kind of, my second was like, you want some chicken nuggets? She's like, all right, let's sign <laughs> <I'm> in. <laughs> <laughs> but again, so it's the added regret of like, oh, we were up too late and we had McDonald's. That's awesome. So that's that the kind of day that I'm having. Trying. Yeah. All right. So uh, a really, really powerful story. Over the weekend
2: out of uh, Morehouse College, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened here? Yeah, You know, we just like to start uh, every now and then. It's just fun to do a story that is so heartwarming and so good. So uh, Morehouse College, you probably saw all over Facebook. There was lots of graduations this week. Graduate, yeah, yes. It's like graduation season. Uh, and Morehouse College, uh, a historically black college in Atlanta, uh, was, they had their speaker was a guy, commencement speaker, a guy by the name of Robert Smith. He's a billionaire investor who founded Vista Equity Partners and became the richest African American man in America. Uh, and he told the crowd, so that he's doing the speech, and we're going to share this in a minute, yeah. but well, why don't we share it first and then we'll explain All in right. case you can't figure it out. Take a listen.
0: On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. Now, I've got the alumni over there, and this is the challenge to you,
3: alumni. This is my class, 2019. And my family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans.
2: I mean, how good How good is that? It's just crazy. And as I, I was reading the articles about it, there are students who are like, you know, because when you listen to a commencement speaker, you're kind of listening, but you're out in the sun. <laughs> you're graduating. There was some like they said there was like a pause in which most people didn't know what he was actually saying. Like, not that he was unclear, but they're like, did he just it, right? Did he just really? It's so out of the ordinary, nuts. right? Right. I mean, just figure this out, people. they this he just paid off all the student debt. Uh, of anyone in that class, which you know what the worst class is, the juniors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. Well, yeah, who are we? Where, where, are <laughs> we? where are we? Uh, but they've multiple in these articles that I read. There are multiple people who had $10,000. And uh according to published figures, recent classes have graduated there with roughly $10 million in total debt. But the figure could be considerably higher this year. Wow. So he's putting his money where his mouth is and just releasing these students. And and. It's so heartwarming on so many levels because the whole student debt deal it is so difficult for students coming out of college right now. It's just crippling. And so for him to do that is really unbelievable. It's a story of, of, uh, of generosity. It's a story of, like, we believe in you, right? Like, uh, you, you know, you guys often talk at your church with Dave Ferguson talking about being a hero maker. Yeah, like, this right. guy's building into people. So, so many, it's, it's got all good feelings and just a really cool thing. And then I love how we challenged the other faculty and the other alumni going, yep. uh, Hey, this is my class. Who has the next class? Who's yeah, going right. to get the next class? Just a cool story. So why, why do you think we resonate with stories like this so much? Like, I don't
1: know. Did you graduate with a lot of debt by the way? Can you share that am, on air?
2: <laughs> I can, because I am super thankful to have had parents who I didn't graduate with any debt. No kidding. Yeah. And I'm, as I get old, I was fully aware at that moment of how big a deal that was. But even as I got older, being like, oh my gosh, this is a huge deal. Sure. But, you know, uh, with each generation, or not even generation, just each kind of decade or so, it seems harder and harder for kids to get out of school with no students. Yes, right. So uh, education feels like this universal thing that the
1: left and right can agree on is important, right? Maybe that's part of why this story like has such teeth. But I'm curious why you think stories like this, stories of radical generosity You don't have to be a Jesus person for that to like resonate, to like see that and go, Oh, that's what's good and right in the world. And maybe there, maybe there are haters. Maybe there are people that are hearing the story and they're finding some reason to discredit all this. But why do you think by and large stories like this
2: really seem to resonate like at the core of people? Yeah. First of all, I don't know why anyone have have any bad feelings about this story, but they're out there. They're out there. I would say it's a couple of things. One is somebody using their money in such a kind way. Right. Like he's not benefiting from this. It's not like, hey, I'll pay off your student loans, but you have to come work for me for three years. Right. It's just a really cool putting your money where your mouth is. And I just think we all, whether, you know, you're like me who didn't graduate with any student debt or somebody who has, we all get how crippling student debt can be. And so to see somebody do something for other people that he or she has the power to do but they don't have the power to do for themselves. Mm. None of these kids are willingly like, yeah, you know what I really like is student debt. Like, that'd be awesome. They did this so they could go through college and get there. And so to see somebody, it's a really a picture of grace, right? It's a mm. it's a biblical picture of grace going, I believe in you and I'm going to let you off the hook. And these people, these kids, in the moment, their lives were changed. I also think that's what we love about stories like this. Like, this isn't like a feel-good story for a day. These These students uh these 396 i think i read uh mostly young men uh mostly if not entirely african american their lives are completely changed yeah lives are completely changed by the grace and the kindness of this one man in a moment they walked into that ceremony probably a lot of them going how am i ever going to pay this debt off and they walked out not with just not just with a d- diploma but with a clean slate yeah no kidding the uh college president
1: david a thomas Called it a liberation gift, which Mm -hmm. uh, that man, that word has like such rich meaning, particularly in this kind of context. But he goes on to say this allows them to pursue what they are actually passionate about. And I thought, so it's way more than just a publicity stunt. Absolutely. Clean slate. It's like it is a future driven act of generosity, which is why I like it so much. It's not just "Eh, I'll take care of this for you. It's not just throwing a, a coin in a jar and saying, all right, best of luck to you. He's looking to the future and saying, man, I want to liberate you from this thing Absolutely. that has shackled so many people from actually pursuing what they're passionate about, not just so that you can be debt-free. The goal isn't just to be debt-free, but to, to go then and pursue what you're passionate about, which yes. I think uh, I think that's such, such, inspired, a such a good vision, such a good focus, and uh, I think there's a reason that humanity as a whole – like resonates with that story. And Hopefully the, guy, the encouragement is to, to go and be generous in whatever ways that you can. too. And I think
2: this guy had to feel really good for himself. Oh, like I think it's I'm a true sure way have. street. I think he really totally. probably felt like it's the best way I spent my money in a long time. Totally.
1: Well, even if you've been living under a rock, uh, you probably were aware that Game of Thrones ended yesterday, and the Internet has been losing its mind. So for Media Mondays, we have uh, our good friend Dallas Jenkins in the studio. We're going to talk about uh, not only Game of Thrones, but a little bit about Adam Sandler and why we keep rooting for him to make a comeback. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, a show all about hopefully taking a deep dive, creating some space for conversation, for dialogue, for us to... Sometimes or maybe often disagree or not have a nice tidy bow to tie it all up with. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted quite literally anywhere you get podcasts. And for the last month or so, we've uh, affectionately entitled the next two segments, Media Mondays with the... One and only Dallas Jenkins, director of the Chosen. You can learn more and watch the first four episodes at thechosen.tv.
2: Dallas, welcome back to the show, good sir. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Our pleasure. Now are we still not using the like world. Rena- what was it? What was it in your bio? Uh, the delighting first time- audiences, I, I believe. It was, <laughs> yeah, the first time I was on,
3: you guys were reading a you guys were reading a bio that I hadn't seen, <laughs> and it said Dallas Jenkins has been delighting audiences worldwide. Yes, and I. I hadn't heard that before. I didn't know that I had been, and I was so, exciting to hear. But here's what you've a card that you give yeah, people That's really, really, <laughs> really shouldn't
2: be.
1: I'm going to start writing bios on my own for you each week, and uh, you'll just have to react in yes. real
3: time. I'll, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure whatever, however I react will delight audiences <laughs> Worldwide. We don't know a lot, but what we do know is oh, Dallas's funny. ability
1: to delight audiences. Uh So, okay. So I mentioned that the first four episodes are available at the chosen dot TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that there's only four is because you're currently writing the next four. Yeah. Right. And you were just sharing off air a little bit, sort of your writing process, which I think is fascinating, but you, you were up until 5 a.m.
3: this morning. Yeah doing that, right? Yeah, so just a real quick backdrop. The Chosen is the first uh, multi-season show about the life of Christ. We've mm-hmm. talked about it a few times yeah. uh, here, but uh, yeah, it's about the life of Christ. It set 2,000 years ago based on the Bible. For, there's been movies and miniseries based on uh, Jesus, but never a multi-season show. And so the first four episodes are out now, like you said, at thechosen.tv. <laughs> Excuse me. And now I am working on like last night or this morning, I finished at five o'clock <laughs> yes, at <'cause>, dawn uh, <laughs> episode eight. So the next four episodes now have been written and uh, we are you know, getting ready to shoot those uh, this summer.
1: That's so. F- OK, so I, I think maybe a little later, I'll ask you about the process. I think people would find that interesting. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to talk to you about, uh, because I feel a kindred spirit now, knowing that you stayed up till 5 a.m. working on yeah. a project, because historically, for a lot of my particularly ministry training, the goal always seemed to be. uh successful people go to bed um, when the streetlights come on mm-hmm. and you wake up at four and you run 10 miles and then you dive into the word. And because right. i never felt wired that way, I always felt like not just a failure as like a leader, but like a failure as a Christian, like, well, if this is what successful pastors do. I don't know that that's in me. I'd love yeah. to know a little bit more about uh, your creative process and, and why you even find like late hours to be like ample time to get this done.
3: Yeah. And this isn't uncommon for creatives. Um You know, it's, there's a mix. My dad, for example, is a morning person and gets his best writing done. My father is, the, uh, is an author, author of the Left Behind series, whatnot. He's written over almost 200 books. Wow. Uh, he gets up at, you know, 6 o'clock and writes till noon. That's his process. I'm the exact opposite. That's so, so interesting. I have always been always been a night owl, always been way more alive at night. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is, as we were talking about off air, uh, a lot of times, I mean, I've had pastors say, you know, nothing good happens after midnight, right. especially right. for men, I think, Uh, It's something that my wife and I've talked about before, where being up alone um, at night Mm. by yourself, uh, you're on your computer, you're working. It's not necessarily a recipe for success all the time, Mm -hmm. but it it is how I operate. Like I get my best writing done late at night up until last night. I wrote from about midnight till five in the morning. No kidding. And uh, it's always been that way. So when uh, a lot of times when I've been writing uh, scripts for movies or whatever, there's usually like at least a several day period where my wife and kids, maybe they're already planning on going on a trip. So they just go, like visit the family or whatever. And I'll be home alone, uh, for a few days. And I'll, my, my hours are like, I'll wake up at noon or one in the, one in the afternoon mm. and, and I work till, you know, three in the morning, one wow. in the morning, that kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's not, that's not uncommon for, for, creatives and whatnot but it's not necessarily considered adult or mature. <laughs> yes <laughs> and so there's lots of i think uh fathers and uh and and people who are not necessarily operating in their best rhythms because yeah, right. of family obligations again I, I i can't live this way even uh, even if i wanted to because i have children and yep you know i'm not a bad person who wants to just ignore my, <laughs> yeah. my kids. But there's some parents, again, the people who work night shifts at the hospital or right, whatever it is. Totally. And, and, uh, and so I think um, the point is, is I think there's a misconception that, that doing that automatically means either laziness or procrastination. Right. But I do think that a lot of uh, creatives tend to be procrastinators. I am definitely a procrastinator hmm. partially because during the day, I'm not nearly as motivated. Yeah, you know? I'm motivated. not as excited. I'm not as alive. My 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 pistons aren't churning as well. Yep. and so I don't get to it, and it feels like procrastination because it is because I'm like I'm not I'm not in the mode right now. Right, uh, where I where I'm most alive.
2: That's fascinating. Yeah, and you probably uh, get just you're not getting uh, interrupted at two in the morning. It's my guess. That's, <laughs> That's There's true. Probably a, a lot phone of phone calls. Yeah, right? <laughs> right, and so. This is coming from a total morning person. So you're over a morning here. person.
3: And you would, like if you're preparing sermons, yeah. you're you're most you're doing it in the mornings. You typically is that what yeah? You're not
2: thought? really early in the morning, but I like you're to so start so much holier my than day. I am. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm more of an adult. Right. <laughs> so I like to get into the office and start the day mm. writing my sermon, not end it, because I kind of feel like my energy and my creativity and just my it wanes as the sure. day goes. Mm. It's just kind of the way I function
1: yeah what I'm curious about is and I've uh, had this conversation recently with my wife like for example, we were uh, we were out in the city last night. she bought me tickets at Christmas to see this this band that I've always loved, but we didn't get back till after midnight and kids don't care what time you came home like they're still getting up in the morning and I'm right. both of us were like, oh, can't do that again and I'm like I, I still feel pretty good because my rhythm tends to be much more of a night owl. but one of the things that'll ask often when like writing a sermon, she goes, um how much more how much longer does this need? And it's it's so fascinating to see how this all kind of unravels because I'll go I don't actually know I don't I don't I'll know when it's done right yeah. but until then I don't actually know it could be two hours it could be five hours and that for a lot of people feels like how do you not know like I imagine with script writing there's a, a, a yeah. gut sense of like oh we we got there we yeah. reached
3: it it doesn't like you, like you're saying it doesn't feel adult it doesn't feel uh, right. It doesn't feel mature to, to have it be open ended like that. Uh-huh. Deadlines, uh, and office hours feel right. better for people. <laughs> um, but I think there is, I mean, I, I do want to say to, to, if, if there are listeners who are similar to me in this way, there is a middle ground because there mm-hmm. have been times in my marriage and in my family life where I wasn't. Uh, doing the right thing by being a night owl because it mm-hmm. was affecting my moods in the morning. That's right. Cause you do have to be a, you get up with the kids and you do have to totally. help out and whatnot. Yep. And so I think it is important to try to find that middle ground, um, in terms of, and, and, and again, I think it's good for marriages to go to bed with your spouse, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like at times or most of the time. But, and so, but during these writing times, my wife and I understand and she, she acknowledges that this is best for me. But, I try to still have time with the family before they go to bed yes, so that right. I'm not starting at seven o'clock.
2: At yeah, night. right. When
3: everyone's still up. I'm starting after they go to bed. Yeah. And that's just a sacrifice that I have to be willing to make. If I'm going to be so different from everybody and I'm if I'm going to live uh, off hours, um, then I have to be willing to give up some sleep. Yeah, no I kidding. Have to say, OK, you know what? We're going to spend time together. And when you go to bed, then I'm going to start. And that's on me to figure out. Yes. Okay,
1: so maybe for another time, because I want to ask you. Maybe next week I'll ask you about this. The because I'm curious about the power of procrastination too, because that is another component yeah. of this conversation that feels immature. Like just do it earlier, yeah, or give yourself a false deadline. You're like, I, I've tried that, and in so many ways, it doesn't fire the pistons like you're saying. Until it's like you have four hours to finish this thing. I
3: got more done last night. I, I got, <laughs> seriously, I got. I, I, I think I, I could say that i got 20 hours worth of work done wow. last night in five hours no kidding b- because because of the deadline because uh the scripts were due today and yes. i knew that and i was just i mean i was so zoned in and I, it. i'm not i'm not that way during the day or when i when i don't know about a deadline
1: i, I can absolutely commiserate with you man we're well, coming up next uh dallas will continue to be with us in the studio for media mondays and i think we're going to talk a little game of thrones if that's okay. I heard that some Uh-oh. people, some of those, uh-huh. not us. What I mean, is we that? we have a
3: Christian <laughs> show.
1: <laughs> How dare we? Well, that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Smooth Jazz. Right
2: here
0: on AM 1160.
1: You
3: talk like a normal person without music. <laughs> you really can't. Welcome
1: to the Hello. Smooth Spe- Musings of Ian and Brian. Speaking of Media Monday, let's ah. go. Here we go. That was good. (laughs) Welcome back to The Common Good with Ian and Brian. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. And every Monday, we've had Dallas Jenkins in the studio, and we've called it Media Mondays. I feel like that's stuck. It's going to be Media Mondays, whether we like it or not. Media Mondays. Dallas is the uh, director of The Chosen, the only multi-season television show about the life of Jesus. In the history of the Games. universe, I think, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> you can learn more and watch the first four episodes at thechosen.tv. And, uh, it's actually a conversation we've had before, but I want to, I want to take it a step further because everyone's losing their mind about Game of Thrones right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you've, if you've been online at all, it's funny because even people that aren't watching it are still weighing in. Like it just seems right. to be on everyone's mind. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about, why you think, cause you're a storyteller, you're a writer, you're thinking through things differently than Brian and I do about why stories like this so resonate. But the last couple of weeks in particular, it seems like there's been a ton of outrage at how the series is wrapping up. And it's not just like, Oh, I wish they'd done this. Like people are feeling this deep visceral, like pain about the decisions the writers are making. And I just find that so interesting because you're, you're writing with that in mind, I imagine, but also, With the conclusion that, you know, we kind of know uh, with some stuff in between that I imagine are surprising people. How do you navigate that? And what do you make of like some of the outrage about Game of Thrones right now? So
3: I think that says a lot, actually, uh, about culture and how we think as people. I mean, it's very fascinating um, for several reasons. So first of all, you've got the fact that so last night was the series finale. Yeah. And people are are, I haven't seen much positive said about it. No, right. Um, so uh, I think that it shows just how invested people get in story. I mean, this is a, not a true story, this right? Is, this Wait, is,
2: it's
3: not. No, you're correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's fantasy, Scratch. and yet people are that are as passionate about it as they as they are about lots of the other social media yeah. things that yeah. are going on I mean, right now. Right. The abortion issues is out there, and so you know mm. when I'm scrolling through my Facebook feed and I'm seeing anger. Uh, it's it's not. It, you'd think it'd be about the abortion issue, about some of these other things. And there's anger about Game of Thrones, which is a story. Yes, right. and they are saying the writers of this show and the writers of the book uh, chose poorly. Yeah, <laughs> they hmm. made the wrong decision. They made a decision that I am unhappy with, <laughs> and they feel robbed. They feel yeah. upset. Some people said I've I've invested you know, years in this. And so we can have a different discussion at some point about whether or not it's appropriate for Christians to watch the show. Yeah. That's a different discussion. What we're discussing now is the notion of, and I think it's of note for Christians and for pastors, mm-hmm. is the power of story. Yeah. Jesus understood this power. He spoke in parables. I mean, it is astonishing just how passionate people get about stories, yeah. even the ones that aren't true. So that that's that's a big factor. But another thing is, I have not seen the ending of Game of Thrones. My wife and I happen to have watched the show through a streaming app called VidAngel, which allows you to filter out yes uh, mm-hmm. inappropriate content. So, uh, so that's how we've uh, enjoyed some of the seasons because we've been able to, to filter out things that I'm uh, certainly not not uh, good not good for me to watch. But I haven't seen it because we've been able to filter it out. So that's been really cool. However, what I can say is what I have noticed about this show and a lot of other shows is there is a desire on the part of many writers to not end things positively mm. to end things with darkness because they believe in the darkness of humanity. And, and wow. you'll oftentimes hear them say, we don't want some cheesy, sentimental, ending, yeah. some unrealistic where everything works out for everybody. Right. And because they don't believe that things work out and they don't believe that there is hope. And, uh, now on the other side of the equation, a lot of faith based films and projects are overly hopeful. Yes. Overly positive to where <laughs> There's no realism and no authenticity, yeah, right. but there seems to be lacking this middle ground. And so you've got the other side where these shows where they end so depressing. And <laughs> and I think it's because they represent a worldview that a lot of these That's writers right. have. That is wow. that that is one that is depressing. Now, yeah. I'm working on a show about the life of Christ. And one thing that we are trying to avoid is the Sunday school. A bright, happy version of the Gospels because right. they were painful. The p- time of Christ was extremely depressing, and the people who were there were desperate and hopeful, mixed with sadness yeah. and oppression. However, I one thing that I am excited about is that again, it's based on a true story. Yeah, <laughs> we know how it ends, and it does end with hope and it does yeah. end with victory. Hmm. And I think that ultimately. That is truly what people want. I do think that the majority of viewers of Game of Thrones, even the ones that are not believers, which represents, I think, the most of the viewers, are disappointed because they do want some relief, some
1: resolve, some
3: positive resolve. They want to see their heroes win. And I think that Mm. that's why the Avengers movies and Pixar movies have had so much success is because ultimately good triumphs over evil. And that is what people want. And I think Mm. when they don't get it, they are depressed. And I think that does reflect our inner longing for hope and for, for the gospel.
2: That's fascinating. Uh, as like someone who creates things, um, it struck me reading, I haven't watched game of Thrones, but reading all of it on Twitter, people just weren't happy. And it reminds you of when people were losing their mind over the Sopranos, people were losing their minds. Mm -hmm. There wasn't Twitter with Seinfeld, but you remember Seinfeld people lost their minds. Speak to just the difficulty of ending something like, it seems like it's just gotta be really hard to wrap up a show and each of these comes, and it feels like people are just angry and disappointed with how writers or producers end these shows.
3: Yeah, so I think there's a little bit of people don't like the fact that things end. I mean, yeah, they just, yeah it's a show just that they, all, love, right? they, they want it to keep going. And so, but yeah, it is very hard to write endings. It is very hard to. So that's why one of the things we do, uh, my, my writing partners and I for The Chosen, uh, besides the fact that we're basing it on the Bible so we know a, where a lot of these things go but when we're talking about some of the individual episodes, we say the words we write to the end meaning we we actually write planning on and knowing what our ending's going to be uh, so hmm. the end of season one of the chosen which were which we which I just finished writing last night we knew where it was going from the beginning and we wrote to that point oh we interesting. thought, okay we want to make sure that we, we we earn that and we set that up and I think there are a lot of writers who do don't do that they yeah. they're just developing the characters they're writing the stories they don't necessarily have a strong idea of where it's going to conclude and so then when they get there they're like oh gosh now we got to wrap all How this up this? so that's part of it but again i i, I don't want to over spiritualize this or over philosophize it but i do believe that the that that a lot of writers and directors out of hollywood because they do not have the gospel because they do not have hope hmm. the ultimate hope that they don't have great endings to draw from. Yeah. They don't have like it's, uh, they don't, they don't think of life as having a, a positive, exciting, joyous end to it. Right. And so it's just not in their milieu. It's not in their mindset. That's good. To, to, to to have things wrap up really well. Um, and again, I, 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 that may be overthinking it, but I do think that there, for some, that's just not part of how they think. They just think your yeah, life is a struggle and, and there is really no way to conclude this well. And hmm. so it's just not in their mindset. I don't well, know. Maybe, maybe I, I, even as no, I'm saying it, might be thinking, but.
1: Okay. So selfishly, like with the last minute that we have left, I'm curious based on what you just, even to what you were just talking about, Oh, they haven't, they haven't earned this yet. You know, when you reverse engineer it, there is something that helps you walk through every interaction because you know where it's going. Hmm. Well, Brian and I are preachers. It's a big part of our job. What, What can we learn as preachers, as teachers um, from the art of storytelling? Like what is there anything anything that can teach the modern sermon or the sermon giver that we can learn from?
3: Well, the storytelling is, again, I believe the most effective means. And I think most people will tell you that when they listen to a speaker or a preacher, that when they open with a story, it's very intriguing. I mean, if if right now I just said Mm. to you, so this morning I woke up and as I'm getting out of bed, I walked to the bathroom. Now, just that alone, right. you're interested in what's coming next. Uh, even if I kept saying, and then I brushed my teeth, <laughs> and then I went downstairs, you're, you're listening, you're, you're leaning forward going, I'm interested to yeah. see how this ends, even though what he's saying is completely innocuous, right. <laughs> because, because I'm assuming it's going somewhere. Exactly. And I think, that, right. I think that preachers need to know that. And again, they need to write to the end, knowing what the ultimate point of the of the sermon is, yes. and then work towards earning that uh, from the beginning. But again, Jesus told these parables knowing what his point was in right. telling them, and the parable served the purpose and of, of what his what his point was. And I think that, again, the power of story is is undeniable and universal.
1: I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot this really week to, well. to work toward yeah. earning it, because I don't think there's enough conversation about earning any of that in sermon writing, because so often in church context, like we're the keep, you know, the thought can be we're the keepers of truth. So there is no need to earn it. Just come and hear truth.
3: Well, at any point, you can just drop in (laughs) and uh, God so love the world that he's (laughs) and it's a it's a it's it'll it'll serve the purpose. Yeah, right. And So at any point, you have that in your back pocket to just drop in. But if you can really craft a story and craft based on the ultimate story, which is, of course, the gospel. Uh, it it gives you a lot to work with Man,
1: uh, It is always such a pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank Absolutely. you for lending your insight. That has been Dallas Jenkins, director of the chosen learn more, watch the first four episodes. I cannot encourage you enough. The chosen dot TV. Stop whatever you're doing right now. Actually just go do that. Just hit pause. Washing the dishes or cleaning the dog. Go watch, cleaning, jogging, cleaning. <laughs> oh, people clean dogs, don't they? Who knows? Either way, coming up next, Brian and I are going to tackle this issue: the problem with billboard evangelism. That's coming up next on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian from Let me get this out of the way. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160Hope.com, plus the show. Very recently, since like the beginning of the show, actually, we're podcasted Very recently, four months ago. <laughs> very recently, four and a half months ago. It is kind of crazy, actually. We won't talk about this for very long, but the fact that the show's been on for four months now, does that seem real? Yeah, no. It's it's good. It felt like we were always talking in terms of weeks, and now it's like, whoa, okay. Here it's kind go. of crazy. Yeah. It's a really strange thing. All right, so here, here's what I want to talk about. Um, And it actually stems from an inside joke that my wife and I have. We were driving out of town um, a year and a half ago, and we saw this big, angry billboard. And in the center of it is this big, angry Jesus, and he's pointing right at you, kind of Uncle Sam style. And just in the biggest, boldest, angriest text, it says, Jesus is Lord, and you know it. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, what? What kind of? What kind of evangelism <laughs> is that? Like and it you just know it. so like any time. Well, that's like an inside joke now. That's not so inside because I just told all of you. But uh we laughed at it, and then a little later in the drive, sort of talked about it. Like, is that is that effective evangelism? Like, is that a good use of funds? Like, who's driving down uh, seventy five north? And was like, he is Lord. I did know it. Ye- oh my god! Hold gosh. on a second. Yes, oh, is there a church website? I got a. Weep in repentance now. Like, yeah, we all
2: have to drive like once a year, or so we'll drive to Florida. And the, like the more south you get, yeah, uh, and it might be on seventy five that you're talking about. These just line up, and it'll be like everything <laughs> from like Jesus is Lord to like uh, Turner Burn. Or, like, all of these. And it's like, in Georgia, it's either a Jesus billboard or buy pecans. It's like one or the other. What it's opposing sentiments. Uh, uh, and my kids think they're hilarious. They're like, whoa. What if Jesus was
1: selling pecans it in would one
2: be of them? The, yeah, it'd be Atlanta. it be a it'd rip. Be Atlanta in the Atlanta area. space-time
1: <laughs> Here's some of my other favorites I've seen. Uh, stop, drop, and roll doesn't work in hell. Uh, there's no air conditioning in hell. Are you against Jesus? There will be hell to pay. <laughs> I'm uh, a theme here. <laughs> If you think it's hot in the summer, imagine hell. Uh, so again, uh, it's easy to poke fun at these from a distance, but like, imagine there's a board of people that yep. signed off on this and earmarked money to pay for this billboard, I'm assuming with some... Possibly good intentions. Oh, well, you
2: missed—you missed the best one, in my opinion, for like uh, scaring people. Yeah. Uh, with particularly with fire and hell. Yeah. Uh, discover the bread of life or your toast. Oh, <laughs> like come on, people. that's a way. <laughs> come on, people. But I do think it gets to the point of like, a, who thinks those are good ideas, and b, what is the message there that's actually being sent? What are we trying to right. accomplish? Uh, Whether it be a billboard or like a lot of, you know, churches, especially older school churches that will have the church sign that gets changed a lot yep. Uh, in the front uh, of the church. And they're often like you probably love them because they're often pretty punny. Uh, but <laughs> well, that's my conflict because I love the pun yeah, part of it. But some of them are pretty awful. I think it's Ed Stetzer on his Twitter account. He he often he has people send in like just yeah. ridiculous church signs and stuff like that. But it does get to a broader conversation of evangelism and what does it look like, uh, whether it be on a billboard or on Facebook or on a church sign or on a T-shirt. You and I have joked about the T-shirts before (laughs) that we grew up wearing. And uh, it does get to, is that even close to effective? Hmm. So do you think that because it's talking about such a serious topic,
1: that using this kind of evangelism is additionally insulting like uh i don't want to get into a theological argument about hell right now but um if if what we're finding to be true about the global statistics of christianity like should should a message like that be reduced to a billboard does that miss the whole point of incarnational ministry i i think it dichotomizes warnings versus invitations right and it that's not to say that jesus doesn't issue some warnings he has some harsh words but and we've said this before his harshest words almost always are pointed towards the religious elite right he's always pointing at the systems that perpetuate injustice and exploitation and abuse and for us to put i don't know and again maybe it's a culture thing maybe it's a part of the country thing but like this type of evangelism to me is such a microcosm of how evangelism is broken in our context that we Mm. think we can just sort of plaster it up on a billboard and maybe it's not a billboard for you maybe it's I'm just going to post something really shamey on Facebook. That's my personal billboard, right? Uh, As if that is an effective way. Like, I think about passages that speak to God. It's your loving kindness that leads me to repentance. If that's that's true, do these
2: billboards model, quote, loving kindness? Yeah. Two things come to mind for me. No, the answer to that is no, because... And you might be out there going, well, the most loving, kind thing I can do is to warn people about hell. Sure. I would just say that a billboard is not, or a sign, or a Facebook. but I think you're, let's make it more personal. And the Facebook, like, meme or whatever, uh, I still don't know the difference between a meme and a, meme and a gif, but or gif we, but we, I, we can talk about I'm that getting it. it. Uh, <laughs> I think one moves and one doesn't. I don't know. But anyway. Uh, I'm You've never sounded hip. more hip. I'm just kidding. Which
1: I'm one, one right. of them moves again? What is this
2: memey? <laughs> and And... Uh, What I would say is that (laughs) uh, you can make an argument, right, that the most loving thing I can do for somebody is to tell them the truth, but I just don't think it's effective use of, like, having no personal contact with someone. Maybe the better billboard is, are you hurting? Like, let us help you. Yeah. Maybe it's if a church says, like, you know, uh, you're welcome at our play. You know, come join us. We'd love to meet you. Like, something that's invitational that might be I mean, I that might help somebody be like, OK, I, I want to be a part of that. My second point about how billboards and Facebook stuff often focuses on hell is like it really uh, is doing, in my opinion, the opposite in that it's making it somewhat uh, like it's making hell somewhat of a joke. Yeah, like right. it's making it kind of. It's doing the opposite effect. It's not fearful, but people like you and your wife, or me and my wife and kids, we make fun of it when we're on the road. That's right. That's hey, right. kids, you're going to hell. That billboard told you. You know, and like <laughs> your road trips sound fun. They really are. <laughs> they really are. Uh, but it's it's actually minimizing it by putting it down there. It's diminishing it. Diminishing if it's that big a word. deal, it's yep. diminishing. So maybe. But I do think at the very heart of evangelism, we've got to get back to what, how is evangelism modeled in in scripture. That's right. The Bible tells us do the work of an evangelist, but it's we know that effective evangelism is done over time, uh in relationship with people and everything that quite frankly works against a billboard. Yeah, and
1: Alan Hurst talks about the the diatribo, which literally means to like to rub shoulders, to like it's time spent. And here's the thing about evangelism, I think biblical Jesus centered evangelism is not efficient. Mm -mm. It just isn't. And I think we have so glorified efficiency as our highest aim how can we, quote unquote, save as many people as quickly as possible for the cheapest dollar amount? Right. Uh, I don't think discipleship is efficient at all. I think it stands in the way, actually, of so elevating efficiency as our main goal, and yep. our main aim. And I think uh, we do this with all sorts of language. right? We have all this. We often have churchy language that we don't even realize. You and I are both pastors. Or we're just as susceptible to use things like a, a hedge of protection. You're like, yeah. is Satan's biggest enemy? shrubbery like what is, <laughs> but like we get it and yeah. it's i think as we don't realize how confusing that can be and if if jesus's invitation to come follow me is in any way a rubric for us to follow then that looks to me like a whole lot more like shared meals and cups of coffees yep. and late night walks and and doing life together rather than uh a sort of scare tactic on a billboard and uh i don't know i i find a lot of a lot of trouble there yep and i would
2: say this that 'Cause some of you could be out there going, but yeah, but you guys are completely minimizing the truth of hell and that it needs to be talked about and it needs Well, if that is a motivating factor for you, I don't think the best way to save people from that ultimate reality is a billboard. Totally. It's allow it to drive you out to go uh to love on people and yes. to make relationships and do this inefficient thing you're talking about. I'm sure there's stories of people who got saved by driving down I sixty five and seeing a billboard, but I just I have my dad. I do, too. Right? And so I would say your better bet, if that's a motivating factor for you, that hell is a reality and people are going to end up there and we've got to share this good news, then go do it the way the Bible laid out and go, go effectively love your neighbor and care for people yeah. and begin to speak and live out the good news of Jesus of people that you're in relation. And I think with. these billboards miss the fact that most people already feel condemned as
1: it is. Mm, I, I think people at their, at their most base level are already feeling crushed what if the invitation instead was there's a better way. There's a better way to live and by inviting people to be a part of a community, to be a part of the healing together, to me is so much more compelling than simply trying to scare somebody with a billboard. Yep. Oh boy, we got heated, ironically, in this conversation about (laughs) (laughs) hell and billboards. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
0: It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian
0: Simpkins, also the
1: right Reverend Brian Ulysses Fromm is here. (laughs) not it. You told me off air that it is Ulysses, but to never tell anybody. I never did. You're going to now deny that? On you, the radio you guess what do you think my middle name actually? Oh, this is not a fun game okay is it a is it a fun name? Nope <laughs> It is a very now I feel extra name. bad like any name that I
2: guess. Like, oh why
1: does he even think that's my middle model? name
2: to, my middle name is uh James that's not not a fun name. It's a normal name family name grandfather it's all. It's got family
1: stuff. Can I, can I call you uh, Jimmy? Sure. J- Jimmy, Jimmy Fromm? <laughs> you are so easygoing sometimes. <laughs> Blows my mind. All right, Facebook. You can go to the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is that you get your podcast. You can listen to us at twice the speed there if you'd like to, you know, really power through all the yucks and giggles of our show. Uh, but, okay, so there's some news that we're not going to linger on. We're, we're going to use it more as a jumping off point. Right. And it, it is really sad news uh for a number of reasons and i've seen so many people not only post the news but offer kind of their own commentary yep which is kind of what i want to talk to you about because the commentary at least in my friend group has run the gamut it's it's been it's been kind of all over the place which i find uh sort of fascinating so so ben and juliana zobrist have both filed for divorce separately in separate states which is uh, it's a whole other thing yep um but there's a lot kind of tied into that because they are they're pretty publicly uh christians and um she is a singer and i know they've gone on tours and they've done speaking gigs and um so i'm curious why you think why why you think the reaction has been so all over the place with the news of this divorce yep and uh if there's maybe other things going on there that we we can learn from
2: yeah so ben zobrist of the cubs and juliana zobrist like you said she's a singer uh, Ben Zobras, people started realizing something was up when Ben Zobras took a personal leave of absence in the middle of the baseball season. Like, that seems, uh, that's not a normal thing, right? Baseball players just play baseball. Usually you forget there's even a personal life going on. Uh, and then it came out that they were both filing for divorce, and there seems to have been, you know, a lot of what you think normally breaks up a marriage seems to have broken up this marriage. So mm-hmm. We'll just leave it at that. And um, uh, to answer your question as to, uh, why people are kind of really honing in on this is quite frankly uh, because they've been kind of held up, they've been very forward about their faith in Jesus, right? Like so we're a Christian couple, and they've also been very out there about their own marriage, the own strength of their own marriage. What do you mean what do you mean out there? Like, so parade like public. Yes, Parade okay. magazine in June two thousand and seventeen ran a cover story and it declared the Zobris as quote, the all American family. Oh no, pressure there exactly, yeah. exactly. And so they've been they've known each other since uh, she was 16 years old as a junior in high school, right? Uh, but they didn't start dating until her college years, and then they were married in 2005. Uh, and so I think uh, you know they they've been very vocal over the years, not just about the faith, but about why their marriage, quite frankly, is stronger than most. And, you know, everything from their six day rule that they instituted in which even though he's on the road as a baseball player, she's on the road as a singer. They've got a family that they would never spend more than six days apart. Uh, they've been interviewed often about their marriage. They've spoken at conferences. And so I think anytime you're that public about your own personal life and then it kind of falls apart, I think it raises a lot of sympathy uh, but it also rightfully or wrongfully raises a lot of like, uh, yeah, that's what we thought, or no one's that perfect, mm. or, uh, you know, maybe you should have spent more time. You know, you, you get both ends. And my guess is that's what you mean about your Facebook feed. My guess is you're kind of seeing all of that. Um, and, and it's just out, you know, it's a very public for, it's a very public, um, relationship around here because he's on the Cubs. And so, you make that whole thing about being very public about their own marriage, being upfront. front. I mean, his walk-up song at Wrigley is one of his wife's songs, right? Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I, the first thing I want to say, because I think you and I want to springboard this and in more into a talk about marriage, but I do want to say that that the people that most, in my opinion, need to be prayed for in this situation and thought of are their three children. Yeah. Divorce is, I'm grateful, and I know you are too. We're both grateful to not have this as our history. Yeah. Uh, But we both know enough people who do have it as their history to know that it is so destructive at a young age. And the Zobris have have three kids who have also lived in the limelight a little bit. Yep. They were part of that parade article that called them the all-American family. Right. And now they're watching this play out in the news and in the newspapers it has got to be crippling for them. And so I think all of that is why people, you know, it's like the more public you are about yourself, the more public your downfall is going to be. Right. And I think this is a this is what's going on with this.
1: Well, it's uh, it's hard too because I don't I don't think it just has to do with the the public nature of their marriage because like for example uh, at community yesterday at the yellow box Dave and Sue Ferguson co taught and they were teaching on marriage and uh, I mean I mean just to you know not to plug it but communitychristian.org you can go and watch the talk it's brilliant it's really and co teaching as an aside is really really tough to do it's really hard to do but. Um, one of the things that I have always appreciated about them and, uh, especially appreciated in the message yesterday is that it was very public, but it was also vulnerable. Yeah. They went on to say not just that, oh, there were some seasons that were hard. There were some seasons that were not okay, is what they were saying. Like things that were pretty, uh, sincerely vulnerable about, um, man, I, it just has not, it's not always been a walk yes. in the park. And here's where I've really missed it. And here's where they both kind of confessed collectively. Here's where I really, Uh, fallen short or not understood what she needed or what he needed and i think a lot of people certainly hold them up i mean they've been married 31 years david sue ferguson so there's this there's an understandable kind of draw to look to them as an example Um, and for them to then take that and say hey here's where we've really missed it here's where we're still growing here's where um, it wasn't reductionistic it was like oh just do these three things and every marriage will be perfect they like really owned they own some of the tension in the room that some of you are here without your spouse and you really wish they were. Some of you have lost a spouse. Like, it, I don't know. Uh, That's really good. I'm biased because I really love them. Yep. But there was just so much honesty. Like, hey, you can have a great marriage and still really hit pitfalls. Yeah. And still have arguments and still really disagree and be heartbroken. And I know more and more Christians that have no concept of that. Yeah. Somebody handed them a theology that said, to have a strong marriage means to be a, have a perfect marriage. Yep. And so understandably, there's all sorts of shame then when the bottom drops out yep. or when they catch even a glimmer of struggle because for them, like, well, then we're doing it wrong, yes. I
2: guess. And there's no safety in that. And I think that's, it's really important to go I, after that. I remember my wife and I at different times in the course of our marriage, we, we have been married 19 years. Uh, at different times, my wife and I have gone to marital counseling. Yeah. And thankfully I'm a part of a church that over my sabbatical paid for it. Like go and use this as a, like a recharging time. I remember one of the first times I went to marriage counseling with my wife and somebody that I knew in my church said, literally they looked at me and they said, are you guys getting divorced? Wow. And you want to know what I said to them? We're doing this. So we don't get divorced. Yeah, right, <laughs> like right. we're taking, you know, we're great, but we're also, it's the same way you take your car to the mechanic yeah. before it goes away. So, I also a takeaway for this man for me goes away before it breaks down, whatever. (laughs) So I was trying to move on to my next point. So one of the takeaways for me in this also is be careful how public you are about things. And we, as pastors, we like to be really public. We've seen pastors all over the place who've written marriage books, get divorced and who have written leadership books, turn out to be the worst leaders in the world and over and over again. And just be real careful about spotlighting your own self and, um, because it can really come back to get you. And I think that's why this story has gotten such traction, because they were so in the spotlight, truthfully, out of their own doing in a lot of ways, about here's what a great marriage looks like, even in the midst of the pressure of Major League Baseball and country music and whatever else. And then when that comes crashing down, people have, you know, they're, they're going to start pointing things out. And so I would say... You know, be more uh, authentic about the struggles marriage is. Marriage is hard for everybody. I love my wife to death. I can't imagine being married to anybody else. And there are days where it is hard for both of us or either of us. Uh, and that's just marriage. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it, it adds a burden to marriage when you think you've got to put this kind of sham on it, like make it look good. Yeah. Like, don't. That, that's, nobody believes that. And so be honest. Uh, have people around you and marriage can be a wonderful thing as you continue to work at it. Yeah. And that's the operative word, right? To
1: work and to find communities where you can be really, really honest right. and not have to put on any, any kind of facade or to pretend that your marriage is better than it actually is, which I, you know, that I just think is so, so much easier said than done, but so necessary yes. to find healing. Cause I think. Honestly, especially in faith communities, the, the more that you experience the power of grace, yes, the less shame you feel about admitting the reasons you need it. Mm, and it good. means like, man, our marriage, the, the value of me as an individual or the value of our marriage is not based on uh, how few fights we have yep. or how perfect it looks on social media because grace upon grace upon grace, and the more that you, I don't know, I think the more that you swim in those streams, the, uh, the less power shame has over our, our tendency to hide. Which will segue nicely, I think, into our next segment. I want to talk about the eight worst things you can do during an argument with your partner, which, uh, (laughs) I've read this list. I've done all of them. So, so we're about to get, we're about to get real, (laughs) real here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, and Brian Fromm is bopping his head like he's in an 80s music video right now. I think this is What song is this again? I don't know. I have no clue. Am I supposed to know these things? It's a head bopper. A head bopper. Yes, (laughs) Yes, like an 80s video, as you said. I'm good with it. What decade are we in? I, head-bop, oh, I can't wait till you're like driving in the car with your family and you like turn around to your kids like, hey, kids, you want to hear a real head <laughs> You assume like, I have not said that to them before. <laughs> I actually really don't assume that. I, I cannot wait for my kids to be old enough for me to embarrass
2: them. Is that oh, bad? Is that bad? Is the greatest thing of parenting. Everything, everything i laid down. You know, I drop my daughter off. I've told you this before, but I drop her off at high school every day. Yeah, because yes, yeah, she could take the bus, and some people out there could be like, no, oh, make your kid take the bus. It's like our alone time. We we go. My daughter, Madeline, and I drop her off. Uh, and like mo- at least once a week, I'll be like, hey, sweetie, do you want me to get out of the car and like give you a big hug right here in front of the entrance? And like, do you get the eye roll? Do you get this. It's I awesome. kind of can't wait, man.
1: Oh, I cannot it's great. wait. It's great. All right. So uh so we were just talking about uh marriages and sometimes the public nature of famous marriages and some of the pitfalls of like. Pretending that you have it all together or, you know, holding your marriage up as an example. Right. Uh, and, you know, pastors are certainly not immune to this as well. And we were talking about some of the need for like real accountability and vulnerability and knowing, you know, where and when is yeah. also wisdom. Uh, but one of the areas where I feel like couples most struggle is is in the areas of arguments for so many reasons, because one, we all have, you know, very diverse personality styles and extrovert, introvert and different love languages. And all you can bring in the Enneagram. I'm hired all you want. Like each couple is this unique um, kind of merging of these two life stories. And I've never met a couple that says from the onset, like, Oh yeah, we just, we just always argued. Well, right. This has not been an area of struggle for us at all. So I found this story that uh, it says eight, eight, Uh, the eight worst things you can do during an argument, uh, which I of course perk up because I tend to be awful in arguments and I've all, I mean more times than I care to admit, I've said things that I immediately wish I could have taken back. Absolutely. And maybe you've been there as well. So I, I kind of want to just walk through these eight. And if you're listening in a place where you could write these down, I think these are really solid pieces of They're advice. Good. And we'd love to hear from you. Like, did you think they were good? Would you add any? Would you take any away? Uh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. So here are the eight things. We'll just kind of go back and forth and uh, offer some commentary. The first one, uh, you hit below the belt. Name calling or zooming in on one of your partner's insecurities or vulnerabilities during an argument is a low blow. Yeah. Which again, I don't think we do maliciously most of the time. But like when you're doing life with somebody, you know, you know what those things are. Yep. And I think sometimes in the heat of the moment, that can
2: be the first thing to fly out. Especially right? the, the thing that we you know, vulnerable about. Yeah, and especially if the goal of the argument is to win. Uh, as opposed yeah, to go, right? Right. If, how can I win? I can make you feel badly about yourself. I can go to your insecurities. Gosh, Number totally. two. Uh, You walk away mid argument stonewalling when a person completely shuts down or disengages in the middle of an argument without warning Mm. makes your partner feel as though you've pulled the rug out from under them. The conflict is still unresolved and it leaves your partner alone, confused and even more frustrated. Well,
1: and this is where I think it's really important because I'll admit sometimes I do need to walk away or I'm going to say something awful. Mm -hmm. But stating that is so important rather than just walking away and storming out the house saying, hey. I, I want us to get to the resolution here, and I want to understand. I'm I'm at like DEFCON five right yeah. now though, and I need to I need to cool down. Like having the wherewithal to even just say a sentence before storming away. That's I think good. is so important. Uh, number three, here's a big one, man. You try to make a major decision during an argument when things between you and your partner are heated. You probably don't have the clarity necessary to make a weighty decision. But how often, though, have we been tempted to do that? Yes. Things just sort of escalate. And you're like, fine, we'll do this or buy this or <laughs> not yes. buy this or move or whatever. Like, <laughs> <We'll> move. <laughs> fine. I quit my job. <laughs> right. Right.
2: An argument is probably not the time to make that particular decision. Yep. Number four. Uh, you bring up past mistakes or unrelated issues to deflect and distract. Oh, gosh. Convicted. Bringing up your laundry list of unrelated grievances in the middle of an argument is only going to make matters more Contentious. If you want to fight fair, then dredging up your partner's past errors in a bid. Here it is again to, Ugh. quote, win. The argument is a big no-no. Yeah, It's often irrelevant to the present debate, counterproductive, and can make your partner extra defensive. But again, when the point of the argument is to <laughs> defeat your partner is yeah. to win, then a great way to do it is to go, hey, not only did you screw up today, but remember what you did three weeks ago? Remember yeah. what you did? And, and it's a little bit on you for not having resolved that already. And so... You, uh, you got to change the scoreboard, though. If, yeah. the score, if the whole goal is for me to, like,
1: win. Like, have you ever been in an argument? I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. I'm ready. Where mid-argument, you you have this thought internally. You go, you know what? I think she's right, but I could win this. Yep. You ever had that thought? Absolutely. How selfish of us Yep. yep. <laughs> to, to legitimately think internally, I think she might be right in this, but I do think I have enough, I, well, I don't know, I have
2: enough ammo that I think I yeah. could win this. Like, it, ugh. And it's so hard because... Uh, one of the hardest things to do in an argument is just to be like, you know what? You're right. Yeah. I'm wrong. All this yelling that we've done now, yeah. I'm actually in the wrong here. Mm-hmm. That's just so <laughs> counter. Counter to our pride yeah. that it becomes easier just to keep fighting for the sake of fighting. Well, here's,
1: here's what we have been saying. Number five, you're more focused on being right or winning than actually <laughs> you know. working through the issue. And I think, uh again, like the last one, sometimes you can feel really justified in bringing up grievances, you know, because you can, I think, trick yourself into thinking it's connected when it actually isn't because you're so laser focused on winning that uh it kind of makes you myopic to everything
2: else yes number six you try to hash things out over text don't do that texting is great for sending emojis wishing your partner good luck on their job interview or figuring out what's for dinner it's not so great when you're trying to resolve an argument because text messages can be easily misconstrued can you add an email here even totally even phone voice phone voicemail yeah like uh, but text to keep to this one. Just an awful way to argue because. I could be saying, you know, like, oh, I could be saying something in a tender way, meaning it to be that way, and it could be read in a in a aggressive way, totally, uh, and just a terrible way to do it, please keep your text messages to just funny pictures yeah. and like <laughs> emojis and how more information are you conveying yeah, information is absolutely. fine
1: All right. number seven, I'm convicted by just all about these. all of these, yeah, uh you're more concerned with your intention than you are with the impact of your words or actions. In making your point during an argument, you may inadvertently say something that hurts or otherwise invalidates your partner's feelings. Even when you didn't intend to cause any harm, it's important to acknowledge that he or she may have been affected by what you said, sometimes in a lasting way. I'm so bad at this one. Because for me, it it comes down to like, yeah, so bad. Because for me, I, I take it personally. Like... If, if, if someone's hurt by something that I didn't mean to hurt them, and yep. uh, I, I can somehow, uh, like, immediately make it about, like, what? Well, give me the benefit of the doubt. Like, I wasn't trying to hurt you, yeah. which totally misses the point that that person's hurt. Something I just said, whether I meant it to or not. Is hurting them, and I, I really struggle with this one to say, okay, it actually matters less about what I actually yep. said, and it matters more that this person that I care about is is feeling attacked, yep. they're feeling hurt, they're feeling misunderstood. I am I really struggle with
2: this one. Okay. I'll keep that one in mind when yeah. you and I are having our first fight. Thanks. <laughs> our first fight? Come on. <laughs> on air fight. Oh, that'll be fun. Number eight, you're not aware of your aggressive or avoidant body language. Mm. Uh, During an argument, we're often so focused on what we're saying that we're not paying attention to our nonverbal behavior. Sometimes, though, these cues are more subtle, like avoiding eye contact by looking at your phone or turning toward the TV, rolling your eyes, or using other facial expressions that convey contempt. Yeah. And you may not even realize that you're doing this. This is a great, uh, what I've told this before when I was in communication theory at Wheaton and one of my, I was a communications major, uh, one of the foundational uh, things was of calm theory is the medium is the message. Yeah, totally. So you might be like, no, well, I said this to you and your wife or would be saying to you, yeah, but you said it while rolling your eyes Yes, or you right. said it by not even looking at me when you did it or yes. your tone or whatever else. And we have to just be clear that our body language matters and in all arguments, but especially with the people closest to us, this is, A lot of what's behind all of these, uh, you know, when you and I both married, thinking about as we argue with our spouses is uh, you want to end up in a good spot with your spouse. You're not looking to win. You're not always looking to have it your way. You're wanting to end up in a good spot. And I find these to be convicting. And just really helpful. Yeah. This will sound a
1: little hippy dippy, but this is is how it ends, particularly talking about the body language one. Uh, The suggestion is assume a body posture of openness, which Mm. I don't know that in the heat of an argument, I'm even thinking about my body posture, to be honest, says turning toward your partner, arms relaxed, soft eye contact can be a great way to connect in the midst of conflict and sends the message to your partner that you're on the same team. Mm. That is so, even as we're talking about, I'm thinking, man, the last couple of like heated arguments, I probably had arms crossed, probably like half turned away from her and in the moment that can feel really insignificant. But like the person you're arguing with, either consciously or subconsciously, it's picking up on all of that. Yeah. And I think, man, this, especially, especially as followers of Jesus to do everything that we can to say, Hey, um, you're not my enemy. Yep. Like this con let's, let's link arms together yes. and come after this conflict together is so important and seems so simple and so subtle. Uh, but hopefully that one or all of those convicted you and I encourage you to write them down and we'd love to hear from you, uh, comment on the Facebook page, the common good radio show. What ones would you add? Which ones would you tweak? What yes. things have you learned? Uh, In your own arguments Your own relationships We would love to be learners in this area Well you've been listening to The Common Good On AM 1160 Hope for your life
0: Hey
1: everybody Welcome back to The Common Good My name is Ian Simkins, Along with the one and only Brian Eugene Nope I told you my middle name already. I know. I don't like it. I'm going to kick it up with my parents. Gonna,
0: <laughs> let's get them on the show. Hey, I got nope.
1: a beef with Brian's middle which I don't really even. It's a fine. It's fine. It's uh, okay. <laughs> fine.
2: Thank you. I appreciate the affirmation. <laughs>
1: Oh, does your words of affirmation thing go that deep? Nope. It doesn't? But it was just really funny the way you put it. You're like, it's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's whatever. Brian Fromm, I really like your middle name. Nope, you don't. It's okay. hollow. All right, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio <laughs> Show or 1160hope.com. And uh, so we already had one Dallas on the show. I want to talk to you about a different Dallas. His name is Dallas Willard. Yes. He's not on the show for a couple of reasons. But um, so the quote that I saw... Again, maybe I should say this at the onset. I, I'm Dallas Willard is one of those writers that has been massively yeah. influential in my life. Like, so more formative than I think that I realized. Like, again, shout out to Judson University that when I was getting an undergrad in student ministry, they were having us read Dallas Willard. Mm. Like, I so appreciate now, 16 years later, their wherewithal to say, hey, let's, let's make sure they're, they're, uh, they're reading some of these yeah. really, really smart, brilliant, timely, uh, prophets and leaders so here's the quote and then uh, i'll ask you to react and then uh we'll talk a little bit about a way forward dallas said non-discipleship is the elephant in the church it is not the many moral failures financial abuses or amazing general similarity between christians and non-christians these are only the effects mm.
2: of the underlying problem oh it's so powerful i would say i'm with you dallas willard was a huge especially in college for really? me divine conspiracy spirit of the disciplines totally like if you've never read those books the great omission like you've got to read those books uh they 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 will really challenge your faith and uh and it is a time well spent divine conspiracy not an easy one to get through (laughs) yeah might take a couple of swings warn you in advance very long and very challenging but but is worth your time uh, man, I think like is often the case with Dallas Willard, I think he's he's totally right. Non-discipleship is the issue in the church, and it is the issue out of which other things go. Uh Discipleship being seeing people become more to, to be formed to be more like Jesus over time. Right. It's it is uh coming alongside people and helping them understand, uh you know, what it means to follow Jesus, to grow. He wrote the book Spirit, Spirit of the Disciplines. Right. Kind of. How do you grow in your faith? And uh, he is totally right. And here's why I think this is such a huge issue and so difficult. It's that discipleship's really hard. And there's not like, uh, here is the five, the, you can't point to me in the Bible and say, here's your five-step plan to effective discipleship, right? Jesus hung out with the same guys for three years, life on life right there. And they still didn't get it after three years. And they were living with Jesus. And so uh, what becomes easier is how do we entertain people? How do we kind of get more people in the door? Kind of a shallowness that we become okay with because discipleship's really difficult and really messy. And it's really hard to um, it's even really hard to say, well, we're being effective at it. Like, we're winning at this. But as people aren't discipled and they're they're not becoming more like Christ, then the things he brought up become true, right? Non-Christians and Christians looking the same and people not knowing theology and other things. And so, yeah, I, uh, I think he's right. I think he's right. And uh, solutions are we become difficult to come by.
1: Well, and what, what I find so fascinating about our proclivities is to jump to the things that are most visible as the issue. And I think that is... Uh, probably a tale as old as time that like mm. we see a behavior, we go after the behavior. Yes. Because that makes sense. It's kind of like, um, I'm not really proud of this. My yard is mostly weeds. Now, the <laughs> nice thing about weeds is they're, it's the same color as, as grass. At least green. So, right. It's at least green. So when I, I'm not pulling up these weeds, just to be perfectly clear, I just mow over them. So, yes. From a distance, I actually, I just mowed this weekend and I stepped back with pride. I was like, from a distance, this lawn looks pretty killer. I've totally thought that. <laughs> the more you mow the weeds, the more it starts to look like green grass. Absolutely. But I, I think we do this with a lot of our systemic issues in the church is like, yeah, if I just mow it over, at least from a distance, ooh, maybe that's the metaphor from a distance looks like a perfectly manicured lawn. But ooh. when you really get into it, you're like, wait a minute, that's not actually grass, which wait, That's exactly what I think discipleship goes after when we're when we just look at these big grandiose issues and we aren't actually leaning in close to say, what is the thing? that is leading your heart to this type of behavior yeah. or to speak to people in that way, or to keep certain accounts secret or to have your emails wiped every 30 days or like whatever that thing is. It's not ultimately about the emails, right? I don't even think it's ultimately about oh, you're spending money in a deceptive or misleading way. Like what is the heart thing? And I think yeah. discipleship at its best goes after that, but it's also, I think we're stating discipleship is really inefficient. Yes. Like it just takes time and investment and we don't, I think we've so glorified efficiency yes. that, like, true discipleship sometimes I think is really tough. So I I found this uh, this article at Gravity Leadership, and um, it it offers just a couple of a couple of ways, not even steps necessarily. It says here are four ways that you can help interrupt the cycle of non discipleship through your life. It's, I just think it's it's really it's really brilliantly written. Uh, it's by uh, Deb Sternkey, and uh, I I want to kind of just offer these four ways and get yep. your reactions. Uh, the first says, look for God in the ordinary and help others do the same. God is always present and at work. He uses the everyday situations of life to grow us more and more into the image of Jesus. And he invites us to participate with him in
2: this work. What do you, what do you think of that? God, I love it. She says discipleship is more about paying attention to what God is doing in our lives and the lives of others than checking off the list of things to know about God. I love that. She's saying discipleship is not just knowledge. yes, it's not right. just knowing things. It is knowing things. It's not an either or. right? But oftentimes we say if we get people through these four classes of knowledge, they've been discipled and that's just not true. Totally. Okay, number two, this one I
1: will shout this one from the rooftops. Find small ways to walk with others. Discipleship never happens individualistically. Yep. It's always in the context of community. We need to be with each other in order for discipleship to happen. Do you find that to be
2: true? Absolutely. And it's why you and I are both parts of churches that have the word community that's in true, it. That's true, yes. Because we believe, whether it's a one-on-one mentoring relationship or whether it's a small group, which we at our church call community groups, uh, they happen. You know, it's not just, oh, me and my Bible and, and that's all I need. Well, yeah, in theory that works, but that's not true biblically, yeah, right? Like it talks about needing the, the the other people, ironing, sharpening iron, all these things. So I'm totally. with you, man. I'm with you. That old African proverb, right? If you want to go fast,
1: go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. I, I think that's absolutely true. All right, number three. Jeez, uh, easier said than done. Lead in weakness, not strength or perfection. Uh, she says, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking I don't have everything figured out. Honestly, I'm kind of a mess and I'm kind of a mess over here, so how in the world can I disciple others? Which I think is a great myth actually. Yes. The, the thought is like oh, I got to clean up all my stuff before I actually like disciple or serve. And what I always say to people is, what if I told you that one of the main vehicles by which God grows us is by taking that risk and yep. stepping out and not only discipling but being discipled. Have you, have you found this to be easier difficult as a as a leader in your church
2: oh it, it's this is at the core of why a lot of people struggle like i shouldn't hmm. be leading other people when what you and i have even said about ourselves as pastors is sometimes when we have the most effect in people is when we're opening up to the fact that we're not per- per- perfect and don't have it all figured out like yeah. the, the here's the truth that you all know but we have to learn to believe is nobody's got it all figured out yeah and so it's kind of who can I have in front of me who's helping me along and who do I have behind me that I can be helping along, not waiting till I pass some test that now I've got this certification to be able to help disciple people,
1: which the certification idea certainly is appealing. <laughs> I could see know. why people would hold out for that, which leads me to number four, lean into vulnerability. Uh, she says being vulnerable is essential in discipleship and not just for the person we're discipling. That's really key. So often like the person that we're pouring into, we want them to be vulnerable, exactly. but I, I'm not vulnerable. I'm the, I'm the leader. I yep. think
2: we, we create environments where it's safe to be vulnerable by going first. Yes. And the vulnerability is going to create a soil from which these things can grow. Oh, right. That's like, good. It's going to work that way. But yet, like you said, so many of us, I'm supposed to be the leader, the discipler, the whatever. Uh, I can't come across like I have doubts. I have problems. I have fears, which I, I mean, think about the leaders that have meant the most to you yes like you don't
1: have to mention any names but i imagine vulnerability is probably a common thread among them 100 percent. the people that had you know better things to do to be honest than pouring into us investing in us like i think about what a punk i was when i was 19 that anyone would give any time to have a cup of coffee with me the ones that stand out the most and honestly the ones uh, that are still in my life now are the ones that are willing to be really vulnerable 100%. about their shortcut. Like I couldn't believe it sometimes. Like I can't believe they're telling me their shortcomings that yep. changed the game for me. And, uh, we don't always do it perfectly. In fact, probably rarely, (laughs) but holding that out as this reminder, like, man, I didn't respect that person less. I respected them more when they were really honest about not just their ministry shortcomings, but stuff in their marriage and stuff with their kids. And if you hear nothing, discipleship is inefficient, but it is the best way to live. Like that life on life type of living is can sometimes be so messy and so painful and honestly, like really unpredictable. It colors outside the lines, but it is just a better way to live, and uh, you and I have committed our lives to that message, I think, is uh something that I'm trying to learn and grow in every single day. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way we do every single day with some interweb insanity that we did not pick, we did not see coming. <laughs> I'm giving a pre-disclaimer. Pre- we have no idea what's about to happen, but that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160.
2: Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet.
3: <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and we are landing this... We gotta get a different metaphor. Land it.
2: Dock the (laughs) boat. Dock the boat.
1: Park the car. Park the car. Yep. That's uninspired. Return the scooter.
0: <laughs> Return
1: the scooter. I feel like your vehicles are just getting smaller and smaller. That's that's how your brain's working in this metaphor, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Planes, boats, cars, <laughs> awesome. scooters. I'm going to have, uh, like, tuck the roller skates, <laughs> put away the
2: sketchers. do this all <laughs> segment.
1: All segment. It wouldn't be uh, that much worse than yeah. what it's actually going to become. Uh, <laughs> oh, we call this interweb insanity, and uh, these are things that are. Executive producer Keith Conrad have found. We have not seen them. We also do not know the sound bites, the drops, as we call it in the biz. (laughs) Is that a thing? (laughs) (laughs) You got to do it like a hand motion. So we we have no idea. They picked them out for us, and uh, if we giggle or if we gasp, those reactions are real because we have no idea. And
2: uh, Brian, I'm going to ask you to kick us off. Austria. Cow Kiss Challenge. Austria tells people to shun charity dare. Oh, The Austrian government has warned internet users to shun an online cow kissing challenge, call it, causing it a dangerous nuisance. I'm warning you in advance. Some things are coming up here I'm not going to be able to say. Oh, but please I, try and say all of them. A Swiss app called Castle launched the uh, challenge. Cow Kiss <laughs> Challenge on Wednesday, encouraging users in Switzerland and other German-speaking countries to kiss cows to <laughs> raise money for charity. But the Austrian Pro- uh, agriculture minister, Elizabeth Kostinger, said in a statement on Thursday, "Pastures and meadows are not petting zoos. Actions like these could have serious consequences. His voice was so calm for she, that part. <laughs> she also warned that cows could become aggressive when defending their calves i want to kiss you
3: i couldn't care less about the team struggling <laughs>
1: what i was bummed uh, that you skipped brian said encouraging users in switzerland nope. and other german-speaking countries nope. to kiss cows nope. with or without tongues no nope. no i i understand that you are opposed to this no. i'm just bummed that you skipped that part the answers withouts I'm sorry? Without. Okay. All right. Uh, What does Brian do? You just shout the state that's from Oregon. Oregon man arrested after hiding in restaurant until closing time, drinking at bar after hours. Wow. Uh, An Oregon man was arrested Thursday after hiding inside a restaurant until uh, until after it closed, then heading to the bar for some booze on the house, police say. Lincoln City police said Jason Daniel McIntyre, yeah, that's what that word is. (laughs) McIntyre, 31, was arrested on suspicion of burglary and theft charges. He was jailed, according to police, but has since been released.
3: My name is Barney and I'm an alcoholic. Mr. Gumbo, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? Or is it that you girls can't admit you have a problem?
2: <laughs> our Daily Simpsons drop. That one's so good. Mission! Passengers of plane that folded in half. What? on takeoff, are fine, airport manager. I had oh, a trouble on. reading that. Folded passengers of <laughs> plane that folded in half on takeoff Was it a paper airplane? Is that what it was? <laughs> Two passengers in a small plane that snapped during takeoff last week are doing fine. What? Stephanie Stop. Claw, what, we're going to get to it. We're getting it. We're getting it. She says survivors kept fat, uh, had a couple fractures. She didn't have any further information about oh, what caused gosh. the four-seat Cessna 172 Skyhawk to crash on the seldom-used... uh long grass airstrip. Clawwinder says she doesn't know where the pilot and passenger were flying to when they arrived. Uh, there's only one aircraft permanently stored at the airport. It doesn't really tell. Somehow it folded in half.
3: What kind of plane is it? Oh, it's a big, pretty, white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels and it looks like a big Tylenol.
1: <laughs> that one's made an appearance a couple times. I think four times. A right. times. North Carolina! North Carolina. <laughs> Man accused of robbing all these stores while wearing a Hulk mask arrested. Mm. Oh, boy. This guy's... They caught this guy guy him. <laughs> He's probably angry. He probably wants to smash. Anywho, a man accused... Do you your, not get that reference? Your jokes
2: make me green with envy.
1: <laughs> I don't want to do this show Did you anymore. Get uh, yeah, you get that one? Yeah, I got one? the joke, Brian. Thank you. Uh, a man accused of robbing oh, multiple Aldi grocery stores... Of all the stores to rob, by the way... You he have to put
2: the quarter into the cart <laughs>
1: first? <laughs> he actually lost money on the deal because the produce is so affordable. Uh, <laughs> across North Carolina, where he allegedly wore an Incredible Hulk mask, has been arrested. Lionel Bernard Robinson, that sounds like a guy that would do this, uh, of Wendell, North Carolina, was jailed in Cumberland County on multiple charges, according to a press release from Carrotsville Police.
3: Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry.
1: Did you get that that's a Hulk reference? I do. I know you're not like a Marvel guy. I I get all of it. Yeah, yeah, You get all of it. Green
2: with envy. Okay, you're just saying your joke again. All right, last one. Florida. Florida (laughs) Florida attraction lets you drive tanks to crush cars. For adrenaline junkies, Florida is a paradise. There are many places to shoot a gun if you want, drive a race car, even jump out of a plane. But what if you wanted to drive one of the heaviest, most powerful military vehicles in the world? Welcome to Tank America. (laughs) It's a military-themed amusement park about two hours across the state in Melbourne. They offer special ops laser tag and the ultimate experience driving armored vehicles. Wow. That's crazy. You can even crush cars while driving the armored personal carrier. Uh, Rides start around $300, plus insurance for the crust (laughs) Guard.
0: I just love making things go (laughs) kablooey.
1: It looks like we need to arrange a trip to Florida now. We got to take this show on the road. We got to meet these people and do a common good Florida edition. Just, from a for tank. Fun, just for fun. To, from a tank. Count me in. If you can help make that happen, let us know. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, for Brian Fromm, I am Ian Simpkins. It has been great being with you. We'll see you tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life.